evening. I am Queen Love, the self-love guru, and I coach newly health-conscious women to find self-love. Together, we will remove the F in fear, and I'll be the ear who intuitively listens and empowers you to destroy perceived limits so you can live your best life. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hanging Out With Love. Today I am interviewing Chelsea Lynn. She is studying at Guilford Technical Community College and she's studying medical office administration. She's proficient in Microsoft, QuickBooks, Excel. So if you're in school, you wanna pay somebody to do your paper, you need some help in your office, Chelsea is the one to pay, okay? So welcome Chelsea. Thank you for coming. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say before we begin? Um, nope, I'm ready just to get started. Sounds good. So we'll jump right in. Um, tell me, what does self-esteem mean to you? Define that in your words. Self-esteem. Um, I believe self-esteem means that you value yourself. I mean, that's really, you know, what it all boils down to is just valuing yourself and having a, a good outlook on yourself and you could have bad self-esteem which means you have a bad outlook on yourself but um self-esteem means to me is the value that you see in yourself right okay and I would I would definitely agree with that mm-hmm. please tell me how has your experience with your body image shaped your self-esteem oh wow um I'm a person that I um I flop <laughs> so I'm a person that I I was skinny at one point, then I'll get big at another point. So, um, I guess as far as my self-image, it's never really, I don't think my body weight has ever really been a real issue for me. Um, sometimes, you know, like most girls, if you look in the mirror and you see something, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I kind of wish that I could lose that, lose that pound or something like that or you know I wish I need to lose like 10 pounds I mean that's the most that I've ever done I think that probably after I had my daughter that was when I really had um low self-esteem about myself because it was hard trying to bounce back to that Mm -hmm. pre-baby weight which I've never still fully even bounced back to that anyway so um you know it's just one of those things where you know you have to take it as you go and just keep moving along of course. And I, um, can you please tell me, what is it called? Like, you know, um, the how you were born with your eyes. Does mm-hmm. that have a name? Um, it does. Um, I have lost the term of that name. I know one of them was uh, strabismus, which is basically um, a weakening of the eye muscles. Um, and it sometimes it um, makes your eye muscles, it makes your eyes like cross or... Uh, go like in one direction while the other one stays in a in the same direction but I've also it's the the word that mostly everybody knows about my condition is called lazy eye but it does have a medical term I just forgot the name of that but yeah okay and with that um growing up did you understand what it was that was happening to your eyes um was it hard for you to see what was that experience like um i really didn't understand the weight of all of what was really wrong with me um i i knew something was not right with me per you know towards the other kids who had no problems like that with their eyes you know when i was growing up in um 
growing up I think around the age of four that's when I actually started realize something was wrong with me um, my mom had told me um, a story about when I was born my eyes were straight I look at baby pictures I had straight open eyes nothing was wrong with my eyes nothing that you could find um, but then she said one day she was um, picking me up out my crib after I finished sleeping and all of a sudden something was like wrong with my eyes and she was like oh wow Chelsea what's wrong with your eyes and um, I think that was around the age when I was two um, so I wasn't I wasn't aware of that back then at that age but I know when I started going to um, kindergarten <clears throat> that's when I finally figured like I'm not like all the other kids because I had to wear a patch on my eye um, and it's basically like a black patch like you know how pirates wear um, and that was used to train my eye to it, you it was used to train the weaker eye to see better and you would cover the strong eye so the strong eye would stop well wouldn't stop working but it would be dim less so that the weaker eye could gain strength right <clears throat> but i don't think it worked that long because uh the medicine i was also having to take at that age as well with my um with my patch it was making me really sick so mm. um my mom said i would you know throw up and you know have um irritable bowel movements and things like that at that age so she stopped putting me on the medication and eventually I stopped wearing a patch because I was just getting picked on too much in school and mm -hmm. I was always coming back to my daddy crying like nobody likes me I'm ugly stuff like that um so I think around the time I got to um second and third grade especially third grade I started to wear glasses and I hated wearing glasses I just hated wearing stuff on my face period because it just always made that one those imprints in your nose I didn't ever like wearing glasses so I just kind of like you know grew up just not really taking care of my eyes so I really couldn't see that well um I couldn't see far away it was hard to see some things closer up so I kind of really struggled with that mm -hmm. yeah so um and it's been a problem ever since I've I've had that problem from the time I was two all the way up until I was 19 because 19 was when I first got my first surgery right okay and what shaped your decision to get the surgery was it more of like a cosmetic thing or did you actually want the surgery because you wanted it to help you see better um it was a little bit of both um it was definitely for a cosmetic purpose i wanted to look like everybody else and i wanted people to stop staring at me because they thought i was a freak of nature uh you had them little kids and always just stare at you like mommy what's wrong with her why is she looking like that and then you have some people they like to joke you know because you're looking at them, but then they can't really tell you're looking at them because one of your eyes is drifting. They're like, are you looking at me? Are you looking at her? I used to hate stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, it was more cosmetic. I wanted to appear to the outside world that I was normal, you know. And then also because um, I wanted to feel better about myself. Um, I just hated the way I look. I hated how... God made me I felt like it wasn't fair you know that out of all the people I had to deal with that in my family nobody else that I know of dealt with that um so I just kind of felt like you know I was just ugly and a lot of people was like no you're unique you're beautiful but I didn't feel beautiful because of that um and because I carried that for so long because I got picked on so bad for so long and it stopped me from 
looking people in the face. I mean, it just it it really just lowered my confidence as a person overall. And um, but I also felt like you know if this surgery could help me see better as well as far as my vision is concerned, where I don't have to wear glasses. But like you know, it was worth the risk. So, of course, yeah. Yes. Okay. And that's that's totally understood. Um, I know. I don't think people really understand the magnitude of the things that they say. Some of the jokes that they make, like it's not funny. No, you know? it's not. It's not. And um, I know. Like I was picked on when I was younger, but those kids they didn't really say much in particular. It was just like they're picking on you because they can, you know, mm-hmm. and they're picking on you because they feel bad about something with themselves. And sometimes, you know, you take it personally, obviously, because it is a it's a personal attack, you know. Yeah, it was very tender. Um, And I was very, very sensitive to stuff like that, like especially when it came to my eyes. Like you can talk about anything else. But if you start talking about my eyes, like I was like super, really sensitive. So, you know, and I mean, a lot of people don't know how much it affects you. But I mean, it really makes you feel something about yourself that isn't true. And also, you know, I would never try to show my emotion to people that did pick on me because I didn't want to feel like they were gaining the upper hand on me. I would just either walk away or I wouldn't say anything. But when I go back home, I'm processing all of that stuff in my mind Mm -hmm. about, you know, about what they said and how I'm feeling about that and processing all those thoughts about you're you're never, you know, going to be cute. You're never going to be pretty. You know, you're never going to have a boyfriend or, you know, you're never going to be popular or whatever it is to make you fit in. And it was even stuff like just, you know, random stuff. Kids used to just talk about. And it's not even that important no more. It's so much about material stuff now, like clothes and shoes. And if you didn't have this pair of shoes on, this type of clothes on, then they would be making you feel like, oh, you, you, you a lame, you know. Right. You know, like you not, you not a part of us or whatever. So I always felt like it was always an attack against me, whether it was for my eyes or whether it was for the stuff that I wore and I used to dress really nice back in middle school I don't know if you remember that but I used to dress really nice like I wasn't a bum dresser or nothing like that but people just they just find any little old thing because they feel like they're better than you Mm -hmm. you know and so that's the whole thing it's like people feel like like you said they can pick on you because they can but I did find out from like maybe about five people five guys that I used to be friends with back in elementary school, middle school, and high school. And when they see me today, like, I catch up with them or something like that, or if I, like, you know, hit them up on Facebook or something like that, they always hit me with the, you know, I used to have a crush back. I used to have a crush on you back in high school or back in middle school. I'm like... But I was just too afraid to say it. No, you weren't too afraid to say it. You was too afraid that you would get picked on because you like me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was always that. But you know what? That's all under the rug now, child. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad um, that you were able to experience that, even though it was hard. Because I know my experiences being picked on and having people disrespect me, that shaped who I am today. Right. Like it made me more assertive. Right. Um, even when I go into a business setting, I'm so comfortable in my own skin. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. Like people be like, Oh, you know, you can't have your nails all wild. Like you see me, I got the, mm-hmm. my Jada Vaughn watercolors yeah. and I work at um, a public health office. You know, that's where I'm interning at. So it's like, 
it doesn't matter what yeah. people's perception of you. You just have to know who you are. Exactly. And that's what puts you in a position to win. That's what puts you in the position exactly. where you're in school now. You know, you're pursuing your career. You're happy. And seeing that growth, you know, yeah. all of that stuff, it's, it warms my heart. Yeah. It really does. Because exactly. we both, we came really far. Yeah. So how has your life changed as a result of viewing yourself in a more positive light? Um, I have... I definitely have a lot more confidence. I mean, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what I have on. It doesn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter how I'm looking. I still know I'm. I still know I'm fine. You know right. I'm <laughs> I like. I know I'm fine. Like you know, I don't really need nobody to tell me, and I'm not looking for attention. I'm not looking to draw no attention from nobody. I mean, that's what I used to do back then because I wanted people to notice me. I wanted people to see, you know, see the beauty in me. But it was more so because I didn't feel beautiful on the outside. But when I start realizing, like, girl, you know what? You are beautiful on the inside. And, like, that shapes you when you know that there is beauty on in the inside of you. And it works its way on the outside. But you have to know that. Right. You have to know that if you don't have a knowing of that, if you don't believe that. You can have people tell you all the time, oh, you're so beautiful. You're, in, you're beautiful inside and out. But if you don't believe that you're beautiful inside and out then it won't never show so now i just choose to let my light shine it's not even a problem what people say i can go down the street they can say whatever they want but i know in me there's been a difference there's been a change Mm -hmm. so i learned to love myself right and in what areas of your life do you think um that positivity that positive self-image has been the most impactful um I think it's been the most impactful, um, not only within my church community, because that's where I engage most of my time, um, but also um, just with young females, young women who I see struggling through this, see them being where I once was, and then you're able to look them in the face and tell them the truth about themselves. Not the truth that other people have told them that were actually lies, but the truth about themselves. Like, you're a beautiful person. Like, God made you fearfully, you know, he's, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're crafted in his image, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so much about you that is to love, you know. There's so much goodness in you. And um, it really does, it touches a lot of the young women that I see that's growing up in there. And they, and they know me. They like you know, that's big sister right there. Cause like, I know I can talk to her and I make it my priority. Like if you ever do to talk to me, you call me or if I need to come over and get you, like you call me, right? you know? Um, and also I think the most impact that I'm making right now is not only in young females, but also with my daughter, you know, I have a daughter that's going to grow up in this society where it's just cruel. People like to bully kids are committing suicide because they're getting bullied but I made it my priority to tell my daughter every single day we had this little saying you are smart you are beautiful and you can do anything and I want her to know that Mm -hmm. and I want her to believe that she can do anything that she is smart that she is beautiful and she can do anything she puts her mind to and I tell her that every day before she goes to school and she knows it by heart she knows when mommy say you're smart. She knows when to back it up. I'm beautiful and I can do anything. She knows that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I feel like most of my impact, most of my influence is going to rub off on her. It's going to shape how she sees herself when she grows up so she won't have to deal with some of the stuff that I deal with. Right, right. Wow. And with that being said, that really brings <clears throat> me into my next 
question what kind of things did you learn or observe growing up about like women's roles and relationships that kind of shaped you know how you thought when you were coming up because obviously if you're putting that instilling certain things into your daughter about how intelligent she is and how beautiful she mm-hmm. is and that you know she's capable of anything mm-hmm. that may not have been an experience that you had when you were growing up right. so what did that look like for you um you know when i was growing up <clears throat> it was a lot of two different things contradicting so you know, I had both my parents were married. Um, you know, my daddy, he's old fashioned. So he believes, you know, the woman, they cook, they clean, they take care of the man, you know, they do it all the, you know, the hands on work inside the house, you know, house making woman, you know, my mom, on the other hand, she was a hardworking woman. She's always been hardworking and she's always been a go getter. She hasn't had the education or anything like that to back her up, but she's accomplished so much in her life uh, in such a a short time span. My mom's still young to me, so, and she's still getting it, you know, and um, I just kind of feel like growing up, there were two different sides that I would see. I would see one where I felt like if I choose this side, I feel like I'm restricted. Um, And on the other hand, I feel like there are goals that's out there. There are dreams that's waiting to be touched that I haven't yet seen, that I haven't yet visualized yet that's waiting for me to get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and life is not slowing down for nobody. Time keeps going. So, right. you know, you got to make the most of the opportunity that you have um, because if you just sit there and succumb to what people want you to do, um, your whole life if you continue to see yourself through statistics because I had a daughter at a young age you know that in itself can feel make you feel like you know I have nothing left to really gain from all of this but there's so much more right there's just so, because of that stigma yeah mm-hmm. you know there's so much more people used to have kids when they were 14 back in the day they was getting married at 14 years old mm-hmm. and to see our family grow up in that society at black community um you know that's always striving for better opportunities for their children that's what i'm all about i'm striving for better opportunities for my child that's why i'm going to school that's why i'm not stopping because even with um me having my daughter it really it really didn't slow me down as far as having her but it was a challenge that i had to really overcome because um you know getting in school was really hard for me at first um and then when I had my daughter of course I had to go part-time I had to make sure she was good I'm still breastfeeding and doing homework at the same time Mm -hmm. um you know and then trying to get her into a a, you know a child care facility where she can learn and be educated and um you know and so I'm trying to juggle all of that stuff you know as a single parent you know going to school and and coming home and taking care of my daughter you know, and um, I was going part-time for a really long time. Now I'm just now starting to go full-time. So I'm almost done. I got next semester and I'm graduating. So I'm wow. like, I've been doing, going to school for five years, which should have taken most people two years because it's a two-year college. But it's taken me about five years to mm-hmm. um, to get to this point where I'm at. But I don't regret any of it because it's made me stronger. It's made me who I am and made me the woman I am. So, right. you know. You know, I look at all of this as, 
you know, these are stepping stones. These are teaching tools. These are blocks of growth. These are uh, areas where you can look back and you can tell your children how you made it, you know, how you did it and what they can expect, you know, growing, you know, as they go through their life with their education, times will change and things will get different. Right. But the lessons never change. They don't. Right. So, you know, it is, you know, it's wisdom and everybody needs that little bit of wisdom. I needed that wisdom. Um, and so, you know, I'm just thankful that, you know, I have a daughter I can pass it on to. Exactly. Wow. And congratulations. I love that. I got to get you a graduation present. Thank you, boo. So, um, and I think that's really beautiful. I feel like for me, my sisters, being able to pass that knowledge on to them is what really helped because growing up, my uncle has always told me like, your sisters are going to follow you no matter what you do. So you have to lead by example. And I stuck with that. I'm like, okay, you say my sisters are going to follow me, and I didn't see it at first, not even through high school, but once I got to college, um, like, I'm a psychology major, and so um, my sister, her major was psychology when she got there, and originally she was going to go for biology, Mm -hmm. and she said she wanted to be a pediatrician, so then when I went to grad school, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my master's in social work, and now my sister and I are both in an MSW program. Wow. Yeah, so they literally did follow me, and I, I didn't think that it was so literal, right, and that I had that much influence, you know, on their decision making, but it's empowering to know, like, I didn't go through that for no reason. Exactly. And if I hadn't had this experience, I wouldn't have it to pass down to them. I wouldn't have it to give to myself. Right. You know, and it builds up your resiliency, like my backbone. I don't feel like there's anything I could go through that could break me down. Yeah. You know, cause I'm ready for whatever. Right. You know, exactly. and I know, like, I have all the tools that I need. I keep myself covered. You know, I pray over myself, pray over my family. Like, I make sure that everything, there's no loose ends. Like, I tie up everything. Yeah. You know, and without those experiences, I wouldn't know to do that. I wouldn't know that I got to watch my circle. Yeah. I wouldn't know you can't date this guy just because he has money or just because he's smiling in your face. Because not everybody has your best interests at heart. Exactly. You know, so being able to go through things like that, it helps you follow spirit. Mm-hmm. Because it forces you into what I was telling you about before, that isolation. Mm-hmm. It forces you into solitude when people are picking on you and when you feel like you have no friends. You have to get to that point where you start getting comfortable by yourself. Yeah. And that's when you grow the most. That's when you're able to hear that voice that's inside of you. Wow. You know, and so... That's honestly what helped, has helped me get as far as I am. Exactly. You know, yeah. being able to hear that and being like, you know what, I'm going to just follow spirit. I'm going to do what I got to do so I can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I think that's beautiful that you're able to pass that down to your daughter. And that saying, like, that's beautiful. You are smart. You know, you are beautiful. You can do anything. Yes. Like, that's something everybody needs to hear that. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. So for her to learn learn that now at five. Yeah. You know, like, she going to be a beast. When she's 12 years old, these little boys, they ain't going to be able to do nothing with her. Yeah. Say, like, you want a cookie? Mm. No, thanks. I already had one. 
Right, she is so, yeah, and she's so independent, that's what I love about her, mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, she really did take that from me, that independency, she knows what she wants, and she knows what she needs to do to get it, Right. So, her methods right now are a little, like, off, so she thinks she can manipulate mommy sometimes, <laughs> but... Right, you like, listen, you can't, right. this is an old player, right. I know what it is. Right, this old school, you know, you new school, you don't know nothing about that yet. <laughs> But her concept of achieving what she wants mm-hmm. is really remarkable because you're like, wow, I can see her. You know, you sometimes you look at your children and you're like, man, I can see her when she grows up. I can see her at this age. I can see her at that age. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to get my shotgun at that age. <laughs> but I can see her at that age, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can see that. I really believe Sayla's going to do really big things when she gets older. I really believe. She always tells me, Mommy, when I get older, I'm going to take care of you. I'm like, you going to take care of me? I said, how you going to take I'm going to buy you a big old house. You going to buy me a house, girl, girl? Give me a house, girl. <laughs> Mommy would love that if you right. give me a house. I said, you going to be successful. I said, what you want to be when you grow up? She was like, I want to own my own business. Girl, wow. go ahead. You can do it. You right. can do it. And I tell her all the time, never tell her. You never tell your children they can't do anything. Right. You, never, you don't defeat their confidence by trying to build yours up you know mm-hmm. in some way you or live through them yeah don't tear that don't tear that down because you're tearing down a generation when you tear down your when you tear down your children you're tearing down your next generation and a generation after them you never know how greatly your influence is until you really see the next generation take on that torch you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like you're passing something along like i said that wisdom you're passing that torch along so what i'm instilling her today can be used for her kids and her kids kids you know what i mean for your children's children it lives on for generation to generation Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's how god uh, has designed it to be it's been like that since the bible days you know what i mean it's been like that to pass on wisdom to pass on the uh the family inheritance of whatever you were taught you know that's why you know the bible says I'm the God of your father, Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac, and the God of your father, Jacob. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it passes on through generations, you know? So I feel like it's not just enough for me to just, you know, tell her these things, but also to show it to her, you know, because I'm showing you that mommy's doing it. I can't tell you something I'm not doing, first of all. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you something that I'm going to be also doing. I'm putting action behind my words so you can see mommy succeeding. You can see mommy gaining milestones you know and doing certain things so when you look back you're like yeah my mama she did that she right did that, exactly know? yeah they need to see that <clears throat> you went through some stuff yeah. you know so they'll understand because there's a lot of people out here that feel like life is supposed to be easy and like like, it's, like the world is giving to them mm-hmm. like on a silver platter no it's not and the world does not revolve around you it doesn't it does not revolve around you now you make your world what you want it to what you want what you want to make it right you know by the choices that you decide but you know you choose life or you choose death you know and for this one, I choose life. So, you know, that's what my world is going to become. Uh, uh, outlook of life, abundance, prosperity, wealth, knowledge, wisdom, you know. That's what I want my life to look like. So Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And with that being said, what standards did you develop throughout your life that helped <clears throat> you choose your friends or, like, your romantic partners? Um, because I know for me, 
me going through certain experiences, it made me be like, okay, so when I date this next person, I'm not dealing with this. Mm -hmm. You know, if I meet somebody that's a potential friend, Mm -hmm. what am I looking for in that friend and how can I support them? So what does that look like for you? Um, I feel like my, um, my standards, my moral ethics have come from how I was raised. I grew up in a church, of course, and, um, from the time I was a baby, so I feel like that's where most of my standards and stuff come from. Um, how I decide things, how I think about things, how I choose to see certain things, um, how I choose to be a friend to people and not treat them wrong and not do them wrong and not stab them on their back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the relationships that I, where my standards come from is from my parents. Um, of course, you know, there's a saying, you know, a girl is always going to choose somebody that resembles her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with that? In somewhat ways, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that I can say that, you know, I've dated some guys that do resemble my dad. And some, it was just out of naiveness. So I just kind of chose them because, you know, at that point in time in my life, I was probably hurting in some area of my life that I hadn't yet healed. And I'm looking for that healing through somebody else who can make me whole that but could never make me whole so right you have to find it in god and that's where i back it up with my spirituality but um <clears throat> a lot of stuff you you see when you're growing up with your parents of course my parents were divorced and um that really i didn't know how damaging it was for me as far as relationship goes because i'm always afraid people will leave me or abandon me mm-hmm. um with my mom and my dad, you know, the people that they dated, you know, not to say anything, you know, negative about the experiences that they had, but they had to learn through some relationship trials and tribulations as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, you know, I grew up seeing. So it's kind of like when you get with someone that resembles that or takes you back to that time that you were witnessing stuff you don't want to you don't want to be with nobody like that because you're like nah um i see my parents go through way too much dealing with this type of person mm-hmm. um x off the list like as soon as you show me something that's like that and it's like a red flag to me I, i'm not even interested i'm not interested in guys who sag their pants i'm not because my daddy taught me better mm-hmm. the man always wears his pants around his waist period so um, you know, a man will never call you out your name, disrespect you. You know, a real man, not them little boys. Right, you know? right. So a lot of stuff my dad he did still into me a good deal. My mom did too. Um, most of my mom was don't we get don't we go on a hand getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot of people's mom. Yeah, don't we go on a hand getting pregnant, you know, you gotta know that, you know, it's not all choked up as it seems to be. Mm-hmm. But I realized she was saying that from her experience because she had a child at a very young age. Right. And she was going through it alone. She didn't want to see me go through that. Um so I just feel like a lot of that stuff that I seen did kind of come from my parents and it also kind of came from my spirituality just to balance everything out. Right. You know what I mean? So I just kind of feel like that's that's the whole basis of it mm-hmm. right there. I feel like most of my standards, they did come from experience. They did come from my family mm-hmm. um I do I feel like you do date somebody that's kind of like your father because mm-hmm. with my dad he was in the marine corps he mm-hmm. was aggressive I don't know if you remember this but in middle school like sometimes I wasn't allowed to talk on the phone like 
it would just be various times where I just couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I had to branch out. Like, I wasn't one of those people that was, like, stuck in the house throughout high school and then acted a damn fool when I went to college. I actually did get out, but I had to force that. Like, I'm like, listen, Mm -hmm. I want to go here. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to do this. Um, Because I just felt smothered. And it's like they were kind of trying to protect me yeah but it just wasn't it wasn't really effective yeah. see you can't be too unprotective with your children i mean i and i get it because you don't want your child to go out there and experience stuff but you have to let them have some experience because that's how they grow right um if you don't they will never be independent they will never be able to make decisions for themselves which will be critical in the time where they need to get a career and make big life decisions, if they feel like they have never had the opportunity to make a decision, whether it's even little decisions about which friends to hang out with, which party to go to, or something, you know, whether you should drink or smoke or not, you know, you need all of that to counteract. So when you get older, you'll have those you'll have those decision-making tools Mm -hmm. to begin to make big life decisions on what you want, what you don't want. Right, because life is all about choices. It is all about choices, Mm -hmm. and you have to let your children rise and fall at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just kind of feel like a lot of that, I didn't get an opportunity to rise and fall, so it did kind of make a big impact on how I, um, you know, just things that I really wanted to do but I couldn't do because I didn't feel like I was capable of doing it because I didn't feel like I was capable to make decisions for myself sometimes because my parents was always making decisions for me in some way so Mm -hmm. like my mom she was very very overprotective more more overprotective than my dad so I kind of felt like when I was living with her I was always stuck in the house she didn't let me go anywhere I couldn't go to no type of parties couldn't go out to um you know with friends like that um i really got to go to anybody's house most time you know i was always spending night with you mm-hmm. and i think it was only people that she trusted so but it was a lot of sheltering so i think when i got older you know it just kind of had a little bit of negative side effects because i felt like you know i don't feel like i'm capable without my mama helping me with this certain aspect like she had to help me get my first job you know because i wasn't able to and i didn't have the confidence to assert myself in a way where i was making decisions like you know mm-hmm. like a, like an individual person um it was still that little girl inside of me that was like you know well i need my mom or i need my dad's help so in a certain kind of way it was like a codependency relationship between right. me and my parents spoiled and I was like this I'm not even gonna lie I was really spoiled I think the difference for me like you're younger you have older you know siblings or whatever Mm -hmm. for me I'm the oldest so that birth order it was like I kind of had to be a little more aggressive Mm -hmm. in certain situations and um but I will say I was financially dependent on my family for a while I had a job but like in my mind that's my spending money like (laughs) fuck that fuck that gas like i'm gonna my mom's gonna give me gas money when i need it you know if i need like if i wanted new shoes my mom would be like ask your dad yeah if everything is ask your daddy then everything is ask your dad you know what i mean so why would i spend my money on my car or my you know what i mean like i'm not gonna do that see that kind of went out the door for me um (laughs) you know it was like i was in some way depending on my mom and my dad 
but I wasn't like always asking like, can I have this? Can I have that? When I was younger, yeah, before I got a job, but once I um once I started going to school and stuff, like as soon as I had my daughter, mm-hmm. everything changed because then it was no longer you spending money on yourself. It was about her. You had right. to learn how to save your money because I was the type of person that money burned hole in my day pocket. As soon mm-hmm. as I put that money in there, it's going straight out because I find <laughs> something quick to spend it on. I didn't care what it was. But when I had my daughter at 19, I had to learn real quick. Like, you can't just be going out here thinking you're going to spend up everything. No, you got to save for pampers, you know, wipes, bottles, pacifiers, milk. You mm-hmm. know, you got to spend stuff for that. So, you can't be going out here spending all your money. You know, my parents do help me when I need that help still. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, even now, like, I'm working right now and going to school. You know, it's still financially hard. It's financially hard as a single parent. Right. So, you don't really get that leisure, like, you know having extra money on the side as much as you know as people who get child support like I don't get no child support coming in nothing no nothing helping me so when I need extra stuff to get Sayla or you know my parents are there you know grandparents are the best so right right so tell us um with that being said about your your child's father Mm because I know you mentioned several times like you know being a single parent and your experience with that Tell me about your experience with the father of your children, like, including the pregnancy, well, before the pregnancy, you know, um, like, how his attitude changed from the beginning to the end. Um, (laughs) her dad was a piece of work. Um, still is a piece of work, God knows. But, um, when I met him, my mom was showing off my pictures at her job. She always liked to brag about us. And I think he saw the picture. He thought it was cute. Asked my mama if, if he could give me her, you know, his number or whatever. So I could talk to him. And my mom was like, oh, you know, I think he's a really good guy. You know, he seems respectful. That's the way he seemed. He was just using all that as a cover-up, you know. Um, but I think with her father... It was already something that wasn't right at the very beginning. Um, he tried to act like he was standing me up on our first date um, by going somewhere in in the part of the restaurant where I couldn't see him, making me feel like he left me at the restaurant by myself. Then he came around the corner and started laughing. I was like, "That's not funny." Like, and I'm trying to get to know you. That's not really a good first impression for me. Um, wow. But he was more so in his own world. I guess he was trying to make me a part of that world that he was wanting to be. And he was always trying to convince me to give up this God stuff. You know, he mm-hmm. just, it was just, try, he was trying to make me change the way I was. And I was already self aware of myself and self confident about myself that it was like, you're not going to be able to change me like that. Right. I'm in little things where I feel like I can probably bend, but I'm not going to do too much compromising, especially when it comes to my faith or anything that I really believe strongly in. Um, but I ended up taking taking at risk with him only because at this point in my life, I felt like I really wanted somebody to love me. And it wasn't even about her father at that time. It was more so about me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was all alone 
by myself I feel like nobody could really understand me or knew really what I was really going through and the attacks that I was feeling you know mentally and emotionally and physically so I just felt like you know if I had a baby that it would take that away it would make me feel like somebody actually really cared about me and somebody actually loved me and I felt like having a baby would because my baby will always love me so I kind of felt like our relationship was already doomed from the start because of my perspective. Right. But also, he just wasn't the guy for me, and he wasn't the guy that God would ever choose for me um, because he was already on a whole different page than I was. So Mm -hmm. we're two broken people trying to do something together, and it's not working. So when I had my daughter, it was a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, a lot of rage. It was a lot of uh, harassment and just... It was just so much, even though I didn't even see him throughout my whole pregnancy. I never saw him one time throughout my whole pregnancy, but he harassed the heck out of me and just terrorized me. Um, And so even now after that, it's like we still really have a really rocky relationship. Um, So I kind of don't really even talk to him anymore. But, you know, I still let my daughter go up there to see his family. Me and his family are really close. Um, so if any time it comes to me choosing whether I want my daughter to know his family, or I'm always going to be there to support her if she wants to know her other side. I would never keep her. And that's the thing. Some moms, they feel like, well, he don't need to know that side of family because he's not there. It doesn't matter. That's still her family. That's right. still his family. You know that child's family. Don't keep them away from their family just because of a decision that you made. You know, it wasn't all on the baby father's part. You made a decision to lay down with them. So they have a family. She has a brother that she knows um, that she's close with. So I definitely let her spend that time with her grandma, her grandparents that's up there, all her cousins, all her aunts. She's very close with all of them. And that's how I wanted to stay. Even if her dad never is in her life, I still want her to have that relationship. So, you know, it is what it is. Right, and that's Mm -hmm. so noble because I know women, when we get hurt because of that resentment and because of their pain, we would, some some women would keep their child away from Mm -hmm. um, that dad's whole side of the family because they like, if I can't deal with you, I can't deal with anybody connected to you. Exactly, yeah. But um, it's fortunate that you're in a situation where, First off, they're willing to help you and they they love your baby because they understand that she's a part of the family. And also that they see him for what he is, Mm -hmm. you know, because some people family be in denial. Uh, you meet these guys' moms, and they be, oh, my son, he don't do no wrong. Well, let me tell you that. That is totally not even where her family is. Uh, his family is definitely not in denial. Everybody know. So, you know, <laughs> everybody know exactly what I'll be going through. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's sad because it's like, you know, all your family see that. And it's kind of like, you know, your family even be telling me, be careful. You know, when I first met his mom. She was like, I want you to be careful. And I'm like, dang, you say that about your own son. <laughs> Something's mm-hmm. wrong. Why didn't I catch the red flags at the beginning? I don't know. But <laughs> now I know. So, but, you know. Mm. Yeah, I know. Um, it's crazy that you mentioned this man's mom because I dated someone before. Mm-hmm. And his mother told me, like, her son ain't shit. She literally said that out of her mouth. Wow. Don't have no baby with my son. My son ain't shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
and they trying to protect you too because yeah. they know it's like if anybody know my son it's me so, exactly yeah. and you know people moms they don't do that no, if your mama don't. say you ain't shit you ain't shit <laughs> <laughs> Because mom, that's going to be the one that go to bat for you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, like, honey. of all people. Yeah. So, w- please tell me, what advice would you give to women who are holding on to their child's father? They need to let go, and they just find it hard, you know, because a lot of people, they just focus on their family unit. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I want my family to stay together. So, what would mm-hmm. you say to these younger or older women? First of all... <clears throat> Can't no man feel any void in your heart. There is not one person. There is only one man who could ever do that, and it's Jesus. You need to be healed. You need to be delivered, and you need to be set free. First from yourself, and then from people who are toxic. Because if they don't value, if they don't respect you, you need to move forward. Just because that's your child's father don't mean that you and your child's father need to be together. I understand there is a importance on two parent homes, but if the two parent is the two parents are very toxic to each other, what good is that going to do for your child? It does no good to bring your child and raise your child up in a toxic environment. Right. It's only destroying them in the long run and they're going to see things and begin to gravitate towards those things as they get older. So I feel like it's it's better for you to move forward. It's better for you to receive whatever healing that needs to be involved, whether you need to get some help therapy or you need to go to a church, you need to find Jesus or whatever that may be, whatever your healing involves, you need to get healing and you need to get set free from yourself because there are women who are obsessing and just, just doing a whole lot just to get somebody to love them and it should not take that love does not do all of that that is not the real meaning of love and i think some people feel like oh well i love him and he he said he loved me but love does none of that stuff it's not possessive it's not possessive it's not controlling it's not boastful it's not proud it's you know it's not jealous it's not envious it's not disrespectful love rejoices in the truth and the truth is going to set you free so if you know the truth and the truth is you need to move forward and the truth is that can't no man fill your void stop looking to every person to try to feel something that only some only jesus can feel you need to let it go so i just feel like until you let that go until you understand your value as a woman then that's when you'll begin to see with your eyes open mm-hmm. so yeah wow well i really appreciate you for for saying that and you're absolutely right you there is nothing no other person that can fill that void for you mm-hmm. and i'm glad you mentioned also that that healing it looks different for everybody yeah because sometimes you know there's been people that have been to a church and have been hurt in the church yeah. but i mean your connection to the divine is it has nothing to do with a church Mm-mm. it has nothing to do with being connected there now if you find a church family and you feel comfortable mm-hmm. you know those are people that you can learn and grow yeah. with and that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine yeah. but you have to know like you're always going to be connected to that it's just like if everything around you was destroyed you would still mm-hmm. have your faith 
Yeah. You would still be able to pray. You would still speak over yourself. You would still have that word close to your heart. And you mm-hmm. can still listen to that voice. Yeah. Because it's going to speak to you regardless. Yeah. And, you know, and church hurt is real. I get it. I've been through that. I, I understand, you know. Um, have I ever ran from the church? No. Um, because to me, church people is just like you and me. We're hurting people all seeking help. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of people say, well, it's a church that shouldn't hurt people, but you wouldn't stop going to the gym because you see fat people there. They're seeking help. They're seeking trying to get better for themselves. <laughs> so, so don't say, you know. I've never heard of that before. Fat so, people at the gym. So, you wouldn't stop going because you see fat people, mm-hmm. you know. You wouldn't stop going because of that. They're trying to get fit just like everybody else in the gym. Mm. And so that's what church people are. They're normal people seeking God to get help and healing so they can be whole. And that process for each and every person is different. So you got to allow people to make their mistakes. You got to allow them to sometimes be rude and obnoxious and say things. But you just got to brush it off because... You're not going there for people. You're going there for God if you are, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they're just going there for other people because they want to make sure people are going to be like the Christians they read about in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But people in the Bible were never perfect. Right. So. And people in the Bible, they weren't even Christians because Christianity wasn't around. Like Jesus wasn't a Christian. I mean, you it's, know? So, it's so much stuff, but it I just is. believe that, you know, you need to get that healing for yourself. Right, and Don't. stay true to you mm-hmm. above all. I really like that. I was actually just talking to one of the queens the other day about um, her child's father, and she was saying that she was thinking about giving it another chance, which is why I'm like, I got to ask Chelsea tomorrow, you know, what what she feels about that situation. And honestly, I can be real and say if I had a baby with somebody that I didn't feel like was the best person for me, I would want to stay too because I want my family together. But to put it into perspective, you got to know, like, your child knows better. It's even when you were younger, before your parents were divorced, it was like, okay, I know that something's not right. Mm -hmm. They're not getting along. They're arguing. My parents... I noticed all of that, you know, um, through all the bickering. It's the energy that you feel when you're Mm -hmm. younger. And I used to blame myself. I felt like I was, I don't even know why, but I always used to blame myself. I'm like, it has to be because of me. They're arguing because of me. They're arguing because I did something wrong. Yep, that's how it always always plays on the child's mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I wanted that. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I didn't want that with my child's father I wanted to be with him I wanted to raise her together I wanted to be a unit um but our our differences and things it just was clashing too much it was not gonna work um and you can tell when something is not gonna work and when you're forcing it to try to work right (laughs) people who are forcing their happiness I mean you're not you're not happy you're forcing it and it's not supposed to be forced you know, if I'm going to be with somebody and they're making me happy, 
there's just going to be that automatic happiness that comes just from being with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with, like, the materialism. It has and... nothing to do with that. It's just you want to be with that person, and that person wants to be with you, and you feel comfortable. You feel safe around that person. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say the same for her father. I didn't feel safe around him. I didn't feel like he would be loyal to me. He wasn't loyal to me. He cheated on me throughout my pregnancy, when even when I was conceiving her. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, I couldn't. I can't live my life trying to force myself into something that's not real. It's not true. Mm. It would never be loyal to me. It would never be faithful. It would never love me as a woman that I deserve to be loved. So why force yourself to do something that's not working? It's not going to fit. Right. I know you mentioned something about this fantasy world that he was in. What do you mean by that? Jordan, uh, it's just his way of thinking is, is I, I can't really even explain it. You really have to sit down and talk to him. It's like, where do it's like illusions? It's like, where does this stuff come from? Like, who who teaches you stuff like this type of things? It's like <laughs> your mom doesn't talk like this. Your family doesn't talk like. Where do you get this stuff from? Mm-hmm. It's like as if he feels like aliens have possessed his brain <laughs> or something. Like he's from Mars, but. He just has a different kind of thinking that is really out of this world. It's really literally out of this world because nobody, it's like, who humanely thinks this way? It doesn't mm-hmm. even make sense. It's not rational thinking. It's based on like lies. It's and... based on illusions in his mind. It's like, it's really like, you know, and I don't know if it comes from, you know, uh, you know, a mental disease. You know, I know he does have one, um, you know, which is bipolar. Oh, um, and I know his father has dealt with bipolar and schizophrenia, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure if they are, you know, illusions or hallucinations or whatever he believes. I'm not sure if that's where it comes from, but, you know, it really does, you, you can't really connect with people, you know, with a person like that, not saying people like that, but a person who always thinks that way and they believe that their thinking is superior to yours and you're inferior to them in every way shape form and fashion Mm -hmm. you're not above them you're beneath them you're they have their foot on your neck and that's what they believe they feel like you are weak and that you are not strong and they find pride and they find uh, enjoyment in beating you down or getting over on you and getting over on you Mm -hmm. and making you feel like you're the one that's wrong when they're wrong um, and I call that narcissist. Right. It That's is a, very much narcissism. Yeah. But what's interesting about what you said, <clears throat> you know, um, about him feeling like he's, you're inferior mm-hmm. and he's above your level of thinking. If mm-hmm. you really felt like a person was inferior, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. You wouldn't do that. So there's something inside of him that feels inferior but mm-hmm. he doesn't want people to know it so he tries he, to switch that role he, t- he yep he tries to switch that role and he tries to make himself seem bigger than life mm-hmm. and in order to make himself feel like that tearing you down would be the best option because if he can tear you down and get you to start thinking negatively about yourself then you won't feel like you are Uh, on his level or above him Mm -hmm. you will start to feel like you were inferior to him and I've been hearing that about a lot Mm -hmm. of men I know um I believe it wasn't the last podcast it was the one before that but I was discussing how sometimes you date people that want to 
see you lose. Yeah. They want to have yeah. that upper hand over yeah. you. Um, and I've been disrespected to that point, like, yeah. you know, called out of my name, yeah. made to think that I was crazy or mm-hmm. that I was doing something wrong by just having conversations yeah. with other men or, mm-hmm. you know, it was very much that like jealous culture, that mm-hmm. whole, you know, I'm a man. So this is what, what I say goes. Oh, and right. yeah, like just trying mm-hmm. to be so controlling and that's mm-hmm. scary. Yeah, it really is, and, you know, and I dealt with that a lot with her father, and, um, you know, it was just so many instances where I can look back on, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe I was really dealing with a person like this. Right. Um, You know, and it's just kind of like, what in the world was I thinking? Like, (laughs) like, I'm glad my daughter is here, but what the heck? If I could keep the same baby and change father, like, yes, like, all the way, 100%. But it's just, it's so, it was so much. And I really started to believe it at one point in time because he would tear, and he would hit the most sensitive. It's like he knew what to say mm-hmm. to make me feel yeah, that Yeah, because they can read you. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like he knew exactly what button to hit. And it was just, I would just be done. Like, I mean, he would just get me boiling over to one point. I remember earlier this year, he made me cry. And I told myself I would never let him see me cry or hear me cry because then he uses that to his advantage. And I hate that Mm because it's like you're giving him something to work with and you're trying to be strong. You're trying not to let him see you be weak. But I wasn't being weak, but I was just feeling like I can never do anything right. Even when I'm doing stuff that I'm supposed to be doing right by my daughter, you still make it a a thing to make me feel like I'm the worst mother and that I'm weak, that I'm stupid, that I would never achieve anything in my life. And I was already dealing with something like that because I was already feeling in myself like I'm just going through these things and I just feel like I would never rise above it, Mm -hmm. you know. And when you're already going through that and then they come and add that top, the extra, like it's icing on the cake, it's Mm -hmm. like you just get to a breaking point. And I got to a breaking point with him. And, I mean, at this time, I should have been so proud of myself. I had got my first apartment on my own, by myself, with me and my brother. Um, I got a job, you know. I was doing really good for myself, you know. And I felt so proud of myself. But then at some point, I felt like it still just wasn't enough. And it was because keeping that constant conversation with him was making me feel like I could never do enough. And I'm sitting here listening to somebody put me down when they staying at home with their mama when they haven't <laughs> worked in years mm-hmm. um so i'm like who's been in jail and you sitting in there on house arrest so i'm listening to a person that's beating me down about myself but on the other hand they living like that so i'm like wow mm-hmm. but for some reason that's how narcissists make you feel right you know mm-hmm. and even with that like Everybody deals with something, you know what I'm saying? So nobody can judge you for what position you're in and nobody should make you feel bad about anything that you have going on. You're an overcomer. And I will say just to give y'all some backstory on Chelsea and I's relationship, we've been friends since middle school. 
Um, and grade. so, yes, we got really close in sixth grade. I actually dated um, this guy that lived in her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, they were really close. And that was like my little puppy love crush. <laughs> and so um, we were just close from then ever since. I mean, and over the years, it's like I've moved. She's moved. Um, we've both been in school. We've just had life happen. She had a baby. And so we've always, every time I see her, it's like, we pick right up where we left exactly. off. Like it's like nothing ever. Yeah. Like and that was times. in what, 2006. And this is going into 2019 and we're still really, really close. Yeah. And, um, one of the things that I've always admired about her was just her honesty. Like, Chelsea's the type of person she's gonna tell you whatever it is she's not gonna sugarcoat anything (laughs) and people say that all the time like yeah you know my friend you know they real no Chelsea's real for real like she's not even with the net like she could tell you about a scab (laughs) (laughs) and she would describe it in such detail or you can literally see, you can see the blood, you can see the red, you know, she'd be like, well, it's really crunchy on the outside and it, it looks sort of like burnt pizza crust. And it's so- it. <laughs> but she's just so like, she's, she's graphic, she's real, she's honest, and she will make you feel so good about yourself because anything that I've ever told her, she's never made me feel judged. You've always made me, you know, happy, always putting things in myself. And I remember um, the last time that we actually hung out, it was at your dad's house. Mm -hmm. And so um, Chelsea and I, we were just having a regular conversation, y'all. And all of a sudden, it's like this this spirit just came over us. And we, when I say we were crying, I'm I'm talking snot. We were praying for each other. Like, it was really like spirit was moving in the building. And, um... I was really, really happy about that because there's not too many people where you can go to and be vulnerable and that will pray for you and speak to you and you know that you can trust them. So I really appreciate you. I love you you too. And I want to thank you so much for coming up here today because it means a lot. It does. I thank you just for giving me the opportunity. Like, I love how our friendship is. Like, you know, most people, they can go for a long period of time and stop talking and just fall off the face of the earth. Mm. But even when we've moved away from each other or whatever have you, it's like you've never stopped your friendship with me. You've never been fake. You've always been real. Even back in middle school, like, you was like the fighter, bro. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I still remember this one time you knocked this girl out. Like, she was just laying on the floor dead cold. <laughs> Like, she could not move. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. But you were, like, the fighter. Like, you would always defend me. Like, I never really had to worry about anybody really messing with me like Mm -hmm. that. Because I'm not really the fighter type of person. I'm like, I will walk away before I put my hands on you. But you, it was a different story. It was like, you say, you you even looked the wrong way at you. It was like, bow. Like, (laughs) So, I appreciate you for always defending me and always sticking up for me, even when it seemed like it could mean that, you know, being friend with me would make you be unpopular or whatever have you, but you always was really that real friend. I never 
ever experienced you talking behind my back um, to other people. I never, you know, I had a real friend and I knew that. And I still have one. And I really appreciate you for that. Oh, give me a hug. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so excited. Is there anything you would like to say before we wrap up the podcast? Um, Just be you. You know, don't let anybody tell you what you can't be. And like I tell my daughter, I'm going to tell you guys the same thing. You are smart, you are beautiful, and you can do anything and believe that. I love it. Thank you so much again, Chelsea Lynn. Um, I look forward to giving you your graduation gift. I cannot wait. So congratulations to Chelsea. And you guys, please be tuned in next Friday for the next episode of Hanging Out With Love. Peace, love, and light.